Welcome to Playwright, a podcast about creating and sharing new ways to play. It's our audio game jam where we pitch back and forth brand new video game ideas. And it has been a little while since we've recorded. I spent a couple of weeks in England. Uh, Ryan, you've spent a couple of weeks playing the SNES. So uh, I think between the two of us, we're both a little rusty here, but I hope that we still are able to ungrease our hinges and get some of that... Uh, good idea juice flowing. You know, I was more rusty in in more ways than one because I actually found myself going <laughs> through and playing uh, Zelda and Star Fox and all these games I remember and I couldn't for the life of me figure out how to get to the second path in Star Fox or I mm. forgot what order to do the starting dungeons in uh, Link to the Past. So yeah, I was surprised my old manhood is rapidly approaching. Let's not talk about your old manhood anymore. <laughs> Anyways, my name is Ryan Heyman. You can call me H. And I am and will be Ryan Quintel. You can call me Q. This week, why don't you start us off with a brand new video game idea? All right. This week, I want to share with you a sort of Resident Evil style game that is featuring sort of out of body experiences. So a linear puzzle horror game um, very limited combat, if any. And you can kind of reach different points in the game where there are cool, hyper-religious, sacrificial altars. And those <laughs> uh-huh. altars allow you to leave your body. Um, once you leave your body and you're kind of in non-corporeal form, you can travel to any other place in the world very quickly, but you can sort of get there, but you have to constantly fight off these shadows that are kind of dragging you Hmm, to hell or want to take you away as (laughs) you're not attached to your body so you shouldn't be there right the spirit you can take objects and kind of hold on to one object at a time and can limited maybe push around or slightly manipulate things Um, but the regular you has no inventory So this is a little different from your typical Myst or Resident Evil where it's kind of like collect a bunch of stuff, store it, and then use it later. This is when you're at a impasse, leave your body and go search around a world for maybe something you've encountered before that looked like it could be useful at some point, but you didn't have a use for it then. And then your spirit can kind of envelop the object and jump back into your body and then you kind of wake up and the object that your spirit took is in the altar in front of you. Hmm. You could use it to jump back and and get a key that you saw earlier. You could maybe go to the other side of a door and do unlocking that way. Maybe you could go back and forth and find uh, heavy stone or physics objects to weigh down switchblades, that sort of stuff. But that is what I'm thinking. All right, well, let's start the clock then. Uh, So this makes me think of a couple of touch points First of which is uh, cameo elements of power. How um, ah. if you get enough of uh, enough hits in a row in the kind of like combat encounters, 
then it sends you into like a slow motion mode. Actually, you'd be going super fast. It just appears like everything else is going slow motion in comparison. And when you're in that space, you can be ambushed by creatures that normally move so fast that they can't be seen. And uh, the idea is that they're always around, but you can only really encounter them when you are in that um, in that space. And so everything else becomes super vulnerable to you, except you're also exposing yourself to this new danger. Uh, similarly, there's a level in Titanfall 2 in which you have the ability to shift back and forth between two different time periods at will, and of course, expose yourself to different threats in either of those. And so sometimes you'll uh, suddenly shift out of one to avoid gunfire or something and find yourself right in the path of a giant monster in the other. Alternatively to that, the um, X-Men comics, the character of Nightcrawler who can uh, teleport around. Yeah. There's some reference in the comic books, I believe, that during the teleportation, he doesn't just disappear. He actually like goes into an alternate hell dimension and has to like fight his way through that oh, to wow. get to the other portal on the other side. So uh, yeah, this idea of escape from the physical realm actually being more dangerous than just trekking forward yourself, but having advantages of not being bound by this kind of corporeal form. Right, right, right. I've played with this stuff before on the show, which is the feeling of being in your sort of safe mode and having to mm. to have a reason to leave this in, into an unsafe mode. It's the feeling of, get, you don't really want to get out of the Titan when you're a pilot, right? Mm -hmm. The anxiety is less so in your corporeal form that things are stalking you in some way, but rather it's the moments where you have to leave your body, maybe you know, as you have manipulated the world, things are, you know, the shadows or the bad guys are growing stronger and they want to push back against the things that you're doing because you shouldn't be leaving your body. Yeah. You know, I think it would be uh, more interesting if you could have the opportunity to shift into the spiritual realm at any time, instead of having to wait till you get to an altar, maybe you could only drop the items at an altar, but it would be kind of neat if this was uh, kind of like Titanfall's eject button mechanic. If things got too hairy in combat, then you always have this option available to you that you could take your chances in the spiritual realm but, you know, it could be just as intense a fight in there. Maybe something uh, to the effect of like devil daggers until you can get to the other end. Yeah, maybe there's even playing off of that. I, I like that a lot. And I think uncoupling it from the altars, but using if there are altars at all, like using them as the deposit points for things. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's you can kind of leave your body and come back whenever you want. But the fight to get back to your body is going to be the thing that's a, you know, a hell of a task of like, okay, I'm going to go leave, you know, run, find this thing. It's mostly an avoid game, but then, you know, the legions bear down on you and you really get a struggle to, to get back. Right. Because you're maybe in this fiction, mm -hmm. it's easier to leave one's body than to return to one's body. Yeah, that's true. And you could either return to your body or you can uh, push forward and try to find, the next altar and maybe kind of like rematerialize there maybe as like <laughs> or another body just get a fresh body yeah sure i kind of think of the altars as like the reverse version of the bonfires in dark souls where instead of a checkpoint they're kind of like you have to get to this point otherwise 
your progress is reset. One of the things I really love about the the most recent Doom game, actually, is mm-hmm. that that look of half melted candles and strange symbols and the sort of mm. old school, uh, more of an eighties aesthetic of like satanic worship and that sort of yeah. stuff. Doom plays it for you know environmental effect, but Doom is a pretty. Uh, well, it's intense. I guess it's kind of a lighthearted game, if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, and how it treats this type of stuff. And I wonder, like, is there a way to make that stuff scary again? The idea that you're kind of playing with forces beyond your control, and of course it comes back to bite you in the butt, but it might be necessary from time to time. I, I know we've talked about switching realms and stuff before, but usually mm-hmm. that is like the character is static in that way. Could you see some other mechanics where leaving your body could be advantageous other than just to maybe go to a place or retrieve a thing? Is it maybe your your human body can't be hurt or something as you're out of it or something like that? I, I guess the idea is that it's kind of like having two different modes you can shift between. And there's a lot of games that are like that sometimes when you're shifting the entire world, like in A Link to the Past or Soul Reaver. Or sometimes you're shifting between two characters with differential abilities. You could even say some games when you're when someone is like activating their ultimate mode or their rage yeah, mode or yeah. something that they're kind of shifting themselves, right? Yeah. So I think the the obvious thing would be the spirit can go through walls and the uh, body is restricted to walls, but perhaps has other benefits like is uh, is better in combat or. Uh, you know, you must be a body to activate certain switches or something like that. Uh, but, you know, that that all feels very obvious. It'd be interesting to find things that can, uh, things that you could do uniquely as a spirit. And maybe you're able to, like, possess other creatures, uh, mm. like animals or monsters or something that, uh, you know, maybe not all of the enemies, but some of the other creatures in the environment to perform tasks uh, like if you need to inhabit a spider to creep along a very narrow pathway or sneak up behind some enemies to get the drop on them, possessing electronic machines that kind of like lockpick a machine from the inside or hack it from the inside. Yeah, I do like the idea of kind of what I think the game was the swapper uh, mm-hmm. had a little bit where when you, and I guess inside did this too, where, where you're kind of not possessing a, a thing, it almost becomes like a physics object. Like your body is heavy. It has weight, right? Like maybe yeah, yeah. spirit you needs real you to hold down a button so it can get through, you know, I don't know, a thicker wall, you know, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, allow, you know, points where you almost have to abandon yourself in order to, uh, continue and then, you know, find some way to fight back. And, you know, maybe while you're out of your body, you kind of get visions or a sense of your physical body's in danger. So you're, you're almost not allowed to let it die. The, the ultimate escort mission. Yeah. Or even if the physical body dies, then you still have the option to go to an altar and rematerialize a new body, but almost in the uh, kind of dishonored game sense, Uh, The more dead bodies you leave behind, the more like maggots and rats will infest this world and kind of increase the level of uh, of rot and chaos and uh, give you a worse ending. So kind of like a game that I think we did last week 
um, the you, you are incentivized to die as few times as possible or, you know, let your, your body die as few times as possible. But if it happens, then you can still proceed forward. You're just not going to get the best ending. I think that makes sense. I, I've been struggling with and, you know, I it's maybe inappropriate that I burden myself when I'm coming up with these <laughs> ideas of trying to wrap a story around it. But I, sometimes I think mm-hmm. horror is really effective when it is a series of you know, bewildering events and you don't know why it's happening, but maybe ultimately there's a purpose to it. Yeah. You know, when making games come up with the core kind of like, what is the player going to be doing first and then fill in the rest later. And, uh, eventually it'll, it'll all come together, but that is going to have to, uh, wait for another time. We have to close the book on that. We have to leave our bodies. Yes, that's right. <laughs> we have to leave that one behind, like so many bodies behind us. <laughs> hmm. uh, yeah, I don't know about that. Oh, we'll keep working on on the catchphrase there. <laughs> but uh, do you have a name for this particular game? Well, H, at this point, you know me, I go for pith. And that is outer. All right. Yeah. So it's kind of like the opposite of inside then. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I guess I could have went for outside, but yeah, outer. I just want an outer You're body a... experience and invoke that. Uh, yeah, yeah. Your innies and outies. Today, I'm going to be pitching um, a little bit more self-indulgently than I usually do. This one is uh, kind of a fan fiction-y type of game. It's not something that I would uh, probably ever realistically be able to make, even if I had the skills to do it. But it's just kind of fun to think about. I want to do a hybrid of uh, two series that I love very much, The Legend of Zelda and of Dark Souls. And I wanted to think about what would a Dark Souls-like game be like if it was set in the Zelda universe. And so what I'm putting forward is the cycle of Link's and Ganon's and Zelda's has continued for thousands of years in the land of Hyrule. And the kingdom has been destroyed by Ganon over and over and over again and are pretty much on the brink of absolute extinction of the species. And they know that every time Link comes around again, it means that the destruction of their world in Ganon's wake is just around the corner. And so everyone is very, very deeply prejudiced against the Link figure as he is reincarnated time and time again. The influence of Ganon that makes a Link appear to be the bad guy when really you know ganon is the one who's doing all Mm. of the damage but still you know you are incarnated as the new link it could be either a male or female of course and the idea is that you kind of keep a low profile because people aren't receptive to a new link in the world but this this operates as kind of a regular souls-like game there are bonfires that you can go between there's that challenging and and really a deep combat system uh, just kind of think like a standard Dark Souls adventure, but set in the world of Hyrule. You start the game in Hyrule, and the castle isn't far away from you. You can go straight to the castle, just like Breath of the Wild, but chances are you're not actually going to make it there. <laughs> what happens is that the the world of Hyrule is full of, of really excellent treasures, is full of really difficult enemies, It's kind of the late game area. And every time you die in Hyrule, you're sent to Termina from Majora's Mask. And that is kind of the early game area. 
And in this land of Termina, you know, you can go from town to town and dungeon to dungeon, just like in Dark Souls, and kind of make that standard progression. But if you re-imbue your humanity, or whatever the equivalent would be in this game, you reascend back to the world of Hyrule. And you can use that for, you know, push a little bit further and get some of those higher level weapons. And so it's always kind of up to you. If you think you can brave the very difficult land of Hyrule for a little bit more and just push a little bit harder and get your hands on something really useful, then that can serve you pretty well down in Termina again. And so a few more of the changes that I want to introduce into this particular game is that uh, drawing from Majora's Mask, you can wear masks that uh, grant you passive benefits, just like the rings and Dark Souls, except in this in this one you can wear up to four masks at once, but one of them would be over your face, that would be a primary mask, and any mask can be worn as the primary mask, and so each mask can have two separate effects, a primary and a passive effect, and so, you know, if you were wearing one that, like, reduces the um, or that increases the amount that you can carry without being over encumbered mm. then wearing it on the primary slot would would do it a, a great deal wearing it on a passive slot would would be less so but still helpful just thinking through a little bit more strategically where you wear the equivalent of rings as it would have been in the past dark souls games but eventually you know you can challenge the final boss at really any point if you can get to it uh, but otherwise, there's a kind of fully-fledged Dark Souls-y type game hidden in there. And a lot of references to past Zelda titles, of course. It's something that I I really like. And so you can pick up the the Four Sword. And, you know, every time you slice it, it comes in with three spectral links that uh, attack alongside with you. And you can pick up the Minish Cap or all, all these, these great weapons and armors and... Um, and places from past Zelda games, uh, but reinterpreted with the kind of uh, bleak, dark, end of the world type of uh, Dark Souls experience. So I'm uh, going to stop talking and put that one on the table. Let's start the clock on this Legend of Zelda Dark Souls game. Very cool. Okay, so right out the gate, we I, I want to establish in my brain, so I'm just there with mm-hmm. you. Does this look more like a Zelda slash Breath of the Wild, maybe a Twilight Princess, or does this look more like a Bloodborne-y, Dark Souls-y game? I'm thinking it looks more Dark Souls-y, like people are regularly proportioned and, yeah. uh, you know, that the world is more kind of naturalistic rather than stylized, but um, yeah, that that's flexible. What I really like about this is the... <laughs> I, I got two of those dark horse books that explain sort of Zelda lore and the Zelda lore would make a lot of sense in random documents and whispers and object descriptions, Mm. uh, the way that those games sort of present themselves and their environment and their story. But I also love the masks as a, there's a strong in fiction reason, right? You maybe don't want to be seen as mm-hmm. Link, you do, yeah. right? You don't want people to know. And so you are this kind of mysterious masked person who is going from town to town. That's really strong. And having enemies kind of on both sides of the fence of the uh, the regular citizens are somewhat against you. You know, you'll meet a lot of people who are not a lot of people because there's never a lot of people in a Dark Souls game, but you'll meet people who are more kind of passive 
and are happy to trade wares with you for rupees, or you'll meet some that are outright hostile to you, but, you know, not all of the encounters, not all the combat encounters are going to be monsters. Some of them are just going to be the regular citizens who have been brought up with this mistaken notion that Link is the one to be feared. I, I love the idea of even Kakariko Village uh-huh. being a threatening place for the first time in a hmm. Zelda game. You go there and it's overbearing and you're hated by the people and... It, I'm, you know, as I'm playing Link to the Past right now, one of the main bad guys, at least when you start the game, is just straight up royal guards all over the place. Mm, yeah. And those not only would look great in a Dark Souls type of presentation, but the, you know, the heavy axes versus the ones with the pikes versus the ones with swords uh, that travel in straight lines versus come right at you. Those themselves can be very intimidating. Yeah, and as a massive nerd and somebody who's played way more Zelda games than anyone really needs to, (laughs) I think it'd just be a lot of fun to reinterpret all of these Zelda items and characters and uh, enemies and stuff into this different, more realistic style uh, to pick up the Majora's Mask some in some dark corner of the world, or to see what these like phantom warriors would look like in this different art style, I, I think it'd be really cool. If the kind of visiting Hyrule at any point is a part of it, I do love the idea of finding treasures in a Dark Soulsian type of game linked to that Eye of Truth that you get in mm. Zelda's, or the way they had that in ocarina of time that kind of hit those eye of truth stones and they would say these weird cryptic things at you i would love to see the water slash ice temple in a dark souls like environment because now like dark souls is always great of having this interconnected map but i think it would be even better if along that sort of path that is the interconnected map, is these really intricate dungeons and buildings. Yeah, solving puzzles along the way. Every once in a while you have to uh, do a switch puzzle or something, but for the most part, the puzzles in Dark Souls are pretty simple. It's mostly kind of combat-focused. But yeah, in interjecting some of that uh, Zelda-like puzzle solving back into the series would be really cool. It's also an opportunity to make, as much as the, quote, Ganon battles have been more and more, I guess, cinematic uh, as of late in Zelda games, it would nice for to be for Ganon to be in kind of a style that feels really scary again and, th- and threatening mm-hmm. and, and legitimately hard. I think by the time you're at the end of Breath of the Wild, for example, Ganon is kind of a cakewalk for all intents and purposes. Yeah. So to have this battle feel seemingly impossible to overcome, at least the first couple times you attempt it, or even just approaching Hyrule, or I think you could even go as compressed as, you know, Zelda's castle is the immediate small area with all the bushes and the guards and the super difficult mm-hmm. enemies in a really compressed space and getting in there and finding the the rooms have all those great treasures. But, you know, so now you have a language of like, yeah, I was in Terminus, but I, I bounced out and I, I made it through room one of Zelda's castle. So it's like you have two speeds of game, right? You have mm-hmm. Terminus, which is bigger and maybe a little grindier, but then it's almost like destiny style in service of doing the quote raid that is yeah, one yeah. room of Zelda's castle. <laughs> you know, you get these these people who play soul level one runs on Dark Souls and just try to beat the game without ever leveling up or without any armor or without even the sword sometimes. And it would just be this would just be kind of in service to them. 
and giving them a really hard way to play the game and just go straight for that final boss if they want to. Same thing with uh, Breath of the Wild uh, gave you that freedom, and some people have done some pretty impressive things with it. You know, I hate to keep drawing these parallels, but starting a Dark Souls-like game with the simplicity that Zelda games usually start off with, which is simply just Link waking up, having that moment and being thrust into this really unwelcoming version of all these places that you, you know, in your mind are, oh, it's all great. It's all, it's generally, I feel like every memory of Zelda games for me is usually pretty positive, like (laughs) in terms of Everything seems kind of inviting. There's there's obviously mm-hmm. some more threatening parts, but I'm like, oh, I can't wait to see this game's version of that town and this game's version of that dungeon or whatever. Versus when I played Bloodborne, I I was cringing every time I entered a new area, like what's going <laughs> to kill me now, right? I'm kind of curious about how going between worlds would work. I'm thinking at the halfway point of the game, once you've effectively beaten Termina, then you would get an item that allows you to permanently ascend into Hyrule because at that point you're ready for it. Uh, maybe like the Lens of Truth or something like that. Some sort of Skyward sword? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't want to necessarily be your weapon because I don't want you to force the players to play the rest of the game with just one weapon, but yeah. uh, to have some sort of an item that will you know, be on their person, kind of like the Lord Vessel in Dark Souls that allows uh, more kind of freedom of mobility so they don't have to keep re-embering or, or re-imbuing themselves with humanity every time they want to uh, take another run at Hyrule, which is essentially where the rest of the game is going to be. I So maybe some of this could even be expressed with the legendary Ocarina, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, another great mechanic for expressing that sort of stuff is the way Ocarina of Time did putting the sword in the, putting the master sword back in its place. Like you're not allowed to take your best weapon with you or something when you Hmm. get to Zelda's castle. Yeah, that would be interesting. Uh, Although, you know, Dark Souls and Bloodborne are so kind of built around people forming deep relationships with their weapons. That's true. Yeah. And so it'd be really a shame to take that away from them because you could spend the entire game of Dark Souls and Bloodborne, especially uh, with the with the weapon that you started with. One of the things that I don't think Ocarina did enough of, which is most of the times you learn mm-hmm. the songs in that game, it's from mm. someone saying, hey, here's this song, let me teach it to you. And I think there's only like one or two scenarios where you're kind of listening to the ambient sound and trying out, pecking out a mm. song. So I wonder if... You know, in a Soulsian slash, uh, I guess, from Softwarian type fashion, there are those weird ambient, like uh, ghostly whistles in the wind, and towns yeah. where you're hearing songs and you're just invited to try them. And some things do things. Maybe, maybe some of the songs have a you know a debuff on your character. Really, you know, so mm. you can have that level one run, and then you can have the level one run where you've got the debuff that puts you at, at half health or something. It'd be interesting if the uh, the songs were, or like the written records of the songs were destroyed by the townspeople because they want to uh, pretty much just, you know, halt the adventure of Link at whatever yeah. cost. Yeah. But the, you know, the goddesses still chose you and you're still, you know, 
driven by the magic of the sword and the goddesses and the Triforce. And so, you know, it's like nature is conspiring to help you on your journey and they're trying to communicate in any way possible, but the people are just going to be a complete roadblock. I know we are, we're coming up against it on this one, mm-hmm. but I, I do want to pitch to you one boss battle that could be the uh, chained <laughs> uh-huh. wild Epona a uh, horse battle mm. where it like this is a, a horse that doesn't recognize you it hates you it's bucking it's crazy and you you actually have to put down the horse in a zelda game oh that'd be interesting it's kind of like the uh Seif battle in dark souls one yeah oh uh, that's cool there's a lot to think about there i'd love to hear especially from the community uh more ideas of what zelda bosses would you like to see <laughs> brought back in a dark souls kind of way and and give us some idea of what those battles would look like i'd, I'd love to hear about that Dodongos and uh, and you know oh, choo choos or whatever. So it much could, good stuff. Could, yeah, yeah. There's a lot there. Oh, and maybe even shrinking down to like. Uh, anyways, you know what? We've <laughs> talked enough about that. All right, we have to move on. The name that I've come up with that game, I am uh, calling this one, The Legend of Zelda: Souls of Hyrule. Better than Dark Booze, which is what I would have gone with. <laughs> I don't mind a good Dark Booze on a uh, on a Friday after work. So we have a listener submission. This comes from Spencer Saunders, who uh, we've heard from before, and we encourage anyone who has submitted before, please feel free to submit again. We've enjoyed your ideas so far. And so don't feel like you are uh, like you are prohibited from resubmitting. Uh, if you haven't submitted before, then please, we welcome you with open arms to submit to playwrightcast at gmail.com. Or uh, pitch it on our website, playwrightcast.com slash pitch, and we will read it and discuss it on a future show. Spencer Saunders says, You play the ghost or spirit of a person who had just died. The game works in two layers that you alternate between. The first is the real world in a top-down perspective, and it begins at the time of death. You appear as the person's spirit over their body. Due to trauma, you have little recollection of the events leading up to this. The room is dark, and you can't see much around you. You hear voices from outside coming closer and you are prompted to move the body somewhere hidden. The game switches layers to a 2D platformer. You are still playing as the character spirit, but in this layer of the game you are trying to reach an end, an afterlife, reincarnation, nothing. Whatever comes next. I imagine this portion of the game would feel very similar to Spelunky and Rayman Orange's Lemons. Throughout the game you are switching between the two layers learning more about the character's passing, keeping the body hidden from the pursuers, and making the journey to cross over. P.S. I have details of the story in my head, but will share them upon request if you want, as I need a bit more time to work it all out. And uh, yeah, if you'd like to hear more about those additional details, Spencer Saunders can be reached on Twitter at T-L-E-P-R-I-E, Tlepery. Let us go ahead and start the clock on that. Spencer, my man, you... Uh, you've come at us again with another good one and you've accidentally officially made this a spooky spirit episode all three mm. of us have pitched yeah that's right <laughs> kind of solian boo uh, spirit based games but this is really cool uh i am thinking in my head that maybe an interesting format like as you're trying to reach it's funny we think of falling off a ledge or hitting spikes or whatever in 2d platformers is dying but maybe it's dying in this afterlife like as you're marching towards the light is what sends you back 
into your body, right? So it's, you can, mm. every time you, it's like two steps forward, one step back. Yeah, you know, he talks a lot about switching between uh, like two realms. And I assume that means like the spirit realm and the body realm, kind of like your idea. But uh, I guess if, if your body's dead, then you're not really going back to it. And so I, I kind of see this as being like one realm, but there can be like multiple layers like shifting into the wall kind of like on a link between worlds or or you know different things but uh, one of the one of the twists that i want to throw at this is that maybe for each world uh, so to speak there'd be five or six worlds like you would find in a mario game you can play as the spirit of different characters in different uh, like parts of the world that have different religions and different ideas of what happens to you after you die and then you have to kind of like complete these platforming challenges in adherence to the like the hindu ideas and the shinto ideas and the christian ideas and uh, i guess the atheist idea would be pretty easy you just (laughs) stop playing (laughs) but you know platforming challenges that are specifically like revolving around these different ideas there's a nice message to be had in that right which is Mm -hmm. maybe everybody's right you know, maybe there is, you know, maybe you're a butterfly, maybe there is meeting all your old relatives and everyone you've ever mm-hmm. loved and all that stuff is right. And those are what the levels of the game are the same way that there are, you know, fictionally levels to hell. Um, maybe there's yeah, levels yeah. to ascension or whatever. And, okay. you know, as these things pass, you're, you're realizing that every, it allows you to kind of make a pan religious like allude to many of these concepts and ideas without necessarily having to be too on the nose about them well but i mean even if you are on the nose like maybe it can be kind of an educational thing as well it's like you get to learn through experience like oh this is what this different Mm. belief system kind of believes and it at least triggers enough keywords and gives you enough imagery to get an idea in your mind so that you can go to wikipedia later and and do some real reading maybe for like a a buddhist level there can be some level of reincarnation of uh you know you you, each level is you play as a different like animal or something and you're working yourself kind of higher through the through the um, steps of enlightenment yeah 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 yeah. (laughs) and maybe for a christian level you could be always kind of ascending upwards, uh, you know, trying to platform your way higher and higher while you're fighting off uh, traditional kind of Christian demons and and stuff like imagery like you would see in biblical stories. And, um, you know, just invoking the imagery and maybe even art styles of these different religions in a way that uh, can teach you something about uh, different belief systems that you might not hold. I think that that's really cool. And if you if you start to bring in some of the, I know we're kind of picking on Buddhism and, and Christianity, but that's, more, I guess, more mm-hmm. our wheelhouse than some other religions. But mm-hmm. the, you know, when you're a, a Christian or even a Catholic, you have the, I'm able to look down on, you know, my family and look after them and stuff when I'm gone. And to, you know, Spencer mentions here, that you're kind of learning about the person as they go. And so mm, yeah, yeah. when you're when you're there, you're learning about what you're, you know, you're able to see down and maybe you see the service or whatever your service and you learn what your family loved about you and and they recall times that you had together and you're kind of reliving this person's life. And then when it's time mm. for um 
you know, Buddhism and Nirvana, you're, you're reincarnated as uh, you know, X, Y, or Z, because this is what you had as a profession, or this is something that you did in your life that was very important to you. And now it's being expressed to you in a different way. So everything is a commentary about how you lived your life. And that allows you to have kind of, you know, whether it's difficult levels or, or an arc that gives you the, the, maybe the mistakes you've made or the bad decisions you've made throughout your life and having to, I mean, quite sometimes quite literally face those demons, right. Um, That you yourself have created. Yeah. You know, there's a book called some 40 tales from the afterlives. It is written by David Eagleman and it's a, uh, it's a really interesting, really small book, you know, easy read, of 40 short stories about, you know, possible theoretical afterlives. And none of them are being pitched as like, I think this is what the afterlife is really like based on my reading. It's all Mm -hmm. like just, you know, imaginative storytelling. Uh, But it's really fun. It's a really excellent book. Some of the short stories are only like one to three pages long. Uh, And so it's real easy to get through, but uh, they all give you really interesting kind of philosophical questions to really kind of think about for a while. And then the types of stories that really stick with you, it's like, you know, these ideas of what happens to the souls and the purpose for us being here in the first place. And the idea of, you know, maybe, maybe God's just minding his own business and doesn't even notice us or something like that. And so as a parallel recommendation, I will put that forward. Some by David Eagleman. <laughs> I love Eagleman's books. He's got a, another one called Incognito that I'm in love with as well. He's a neuroscientist. Pretty crazy. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, cool. <laughs> and you know, Spencer, I, I, I would love, especially listeners, I know this isn't exactly a pitch, but if you want to write in, maybe you follow a religion that has ideas that for whatever reason you feel like could map to gameplay. That's a, this is a really great way of expressing some of those things, because I think we've all, you know, when you're a little kid and you're growing up and you hear these tales about what the afterlife, if you're, you know, if your family believes in that, or if, uh, if you choose to believe in that, the experience is always abstract, right? Of like, I wonder what that could be mm-hmm. like. And, uh, video games don't often explore that territory outside of simply, I mean, almost like I, I feel bad cracking on what I pitched earlier, but spirit realm, normal realm, you know, what is the spirit realm? What is a spirit? I think a two human played with the Valkyries taking these kind of Norse warriors away. And that's kind of cool. But uh, yeah, it would be interesting to see uh, some representations of not only the afterlife beliefs, but also kind of the culture surrounding these religions. So, you know, the wonderful uh, pattern art of the Islamic faith and the kind of Japanese woodblock prints for the Shinto levels. And uh, yeah, I, I could get really into a game with a constantly shifting art style as well and the music to back that up. Although we'd have to be careful because uh, many, many games, I think like three or four now have gotten in trouble for including the same uh, Islamic cult of prayer, <laughs> oh, God. Big Planet and Legend of Zelda, and uh, at least one or two more. <laughs> in their so. defense, it's very catchy. One of my favorite prayers. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I also yep. just like want to uh, experience something like this where, 
you know, hell is often the because it's cooler or whatever mm. is the thing that's so often represented. So to see the other side of that coin and see someone actually, you know, completing their journey or completing their life or, hey, let's bring in some fictional religions. Let's have the Klingons die in battle. Right. So let's have, you know, a, a good old battle stage in there. Or maybe a like final unlockable, like bonus stage based on Scientology. <laughs> <laughs> Where you're, you're, you, you become a nuclear bomb and you get yeah, everyone's you're ascending out. through some like <laughs> universal volcano up to the spaceship of, of Xenu or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it all starts in, in Montana and you have a driver's license. It's very weird. Very, very weird. <laughs> Could be fun. Well, anyways, sorry, we got a little sidetracked at the end there, but that is uh, Spencer Saunders game. He does not come to us with an, uh, with a title for that one. But I feel like we'll be able to come up with something. Let's see. It's going to say spirited away. Like I was the one who thought about that. But <laughs> nope. Nope. That doesn't quite. No. I mean, I keep I keep wanting to play off of like life after or after life. Mm. Or <laughs> maybe you do more Japanese. You go like afterlife DX plus plus or something. Afterlife by itself might just work. We could do maybe afterlives. Afterlives. Yeah, sure. I'll go with that then. This is Spencer Saunders, Afterlives. Anyways, thank you for submitting that. If you would care to submit anything for a future show, any idea that is rattling around in the back of your mind that uh, you feel would be super fun to just throw onto an Xbox someday, then uh, get in touch with us. We are playwrightcast at gmail.com or playwrightcast.com slash pitch. That is P-L-A-Y-W-R-I-T-E-C-A-S-T, all one word. H, I want to thank Protodome for the use of our theme song, Hello World. It's off that album, Blue Noise. It's a banger. Go buy it on Bandcamp. (laughs) Yes, and uh, Q, do you have a final little tidbit of an idea to uh, whet our listeners' imagination on the way out today? Oh, you better believe I do. In the weird theme of today is Mm -hmm. a... Building a cult simulator. All right. I like that. Man, I could even talk about that for 10 minutes. But yeah, <laughs> let's throw that out there. If you have anything to add to it, then tweet us. We'd love to hear it. Pitch it back. We'll at see us. you next week. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>